Bibles to Psalm 9. Today, Psalm 9, it would be good to have your Bibles open. And uh, if you don't know where that is, page number is in the worship folder. But if you take a pew Bible and you open to the middle, it'll probably be in Psalms. And if you just find Psalm 9, we'll be good to go. We'll mention one more thing before we uh, get into this today. And that's just to be grateful to have uh, Gary and Adina Nisley here with us today. Gary is the pastor of Maywood Evangelical Free Church and a true partner in the gospel, not not only in spirit and in word preached, but uh, partnered with us uh, as congregations in seeing Christ Church uh, begin with a very generous donation to that end. And just telling me as he was wrapping up a zone sabbatical that he was down at Christ Church for Aaron's last Sunday and able to be with us today. Um, thank you. And just uh, Lord blessings on Maywood. We're all kind of coming out of the the uh, coma of coronavirus and as churches and pray God's blessing on on your ministry there. We're thankful for Maywood. Now, if you were expecting 2 Thessalonians this morning, um, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, we wrapped up 1 Thessalonians last week. Um, next week, uh, the 11th, Logan's going to be preaching. I'll be here, um, but Logan will be preaching. Then uh, after the 18th, our celebration of grace service, then the 25th we'll get into 2 Thessalonians, going through most of August. Today, it's, uh, of course, Independence Day, it's also the Lord's Day, and those of us who are Americans and Christians, uh, we feel a little bit of a tension. We have, we have a, a patriotic instinct, and we've got a prophetic responsibility at the same time. We, we want, of course, to celebrate all the good things uh, in our country on the 4th of July, and under God, we have to speak His Word truthfully and faithfully. We can, be, we can be patriotic, we must be prophetic. Now, the passage today is, of course, not patriotic, and it's not primarily prophetic either, although we'll get some of that. Psalm 9 is only an indirect warning to all the nations that forget God. That's a phrase in here that kind of caught my attention thinking about this today. But Psalm 9 is speaking not primarily to the nations. It's speaking directly to his people, to God's people, as a song of praise and prayer in the light of God's deliverance. King David is up against his enemies. That, that reflects the larger conflict of, of the, between Israel and the nations, between the righteous and the wicked. But above all, there is a higher king who will bring justice. That's our hope in spite of opposition and oppression. We don't, we don't know what tune uh, David used to sing this, this song, but I hope these lyrics will get stuck in your head. So here's Psalm 9. I'll read it all, and please follow along. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. 
And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord, who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is God's word. Now, I'm not usually a big exclamation points guy. Um, You know, if I'm texting you, I'm not saying, so excited, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. It's not... But there is a flurry of exclamation points in this psalm, in the middle, at the end, and I want the sermon to capture that tone. So uh, if you're seeing the outline, it's on the back of the worship folder, Uh, it's all exclamation points. I'm not shouting at you, Uh, I just think this is supposed to be a big deal. This is good news. And here's the theme for the whole psalm. Look to the Lord. He is the forever king who brings final justice. Look to to the Lord. He is the forever king who brings final justice. We'll do this in three parts. Here's part one. Look to the Lord in praise. Rejoice. God brings the wicked to an end, but he sits enthroned forever. Let's go back to the beginning of the psalm and let David lead us in worship. Verses one and two sound like, you know, typical psalm talk, maybe, you know, so we might read this quickly. Praise the Lord, giving thanks, and we're, we're, we're kind of, okay, okay, get on to the, the meat of this. What's this about? But, but let's, let's not go too fast. Just stop and appreciate what we have here in these first two verses. This is wholehearted, God-centered worship. It is, it is just as deeply personal as it is intensely theological. Look, I will, look, I mean, all those lines, I will, I will, I will. So, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. Let us not have worship that is all about I. Certainly, we don't want it just to be about how I feel or, or what I want to say, what I want to get off my chest. It's got to be about God. But but let us not also have a wonderful declaration and a doctrinal statement and a, and a liturgy about who God is and not enter into that personally. This is wholehearted, God-centered worship. And God, excuse me, David, writing this psalm, is thrilled with all that God means to him. And his testimony, the testimony of this psalm is meant for Not just ancient Israel, it's meant for every generation who reads, sings this psalm. It's meant for us. Why this praise? Well, it's in the second line of that first verse. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. Well, uh, what what are the wonderful deeds God has done? It could be the, the 
God's powerful work in creating the world or his mighty acts of redemption down through history. Think of uh, Israel and the Exodus and so many others. But, but the next six verses, after verse 2, show us what David has in mind. It's something that God did for David personally so that David revi- will revisit what God did so that we all can rejoice together in God. So verses 3 And four, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. Okay, so we don't know exactly the situation, but we have got two clues as to what's going on here. Enemies and my just cause. Apparently, David was in a situation where he was being unfairly attacked. Enemies, my just cause. So, unfairly attacked. And this was... Uh, not a fight that he started, not, not something that he in some way deserved. But then, after the enemies are bearing down on him, they fall into retreat. Not just into retreat, but they, they stumble, they fall, they fall to their death, perishing forever. You know, how, how, how did this, go, how did they go from a, a terrifying threat to utter collapse? Because, because God is on the throne of the universe. The end, there's the end of verse 4. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment, and from that throne he rules. He reigns. Now, I wonder if you can appreciate this as profound and praiseworthy uh, out of God's unflinching commitment to what is right and what is true. He will see to it that right is done because he is good and right and just and true. He will make sure that the innocent will not be crushed by the wicked. The weak will not be trampled by the powerful. He will see to it that right will be done because he is righteous and he gives righteous judgment. And in in this government, there are no separation of powers. There's no you know, executive branch and legislative branch and judicial branch. No separation of powers. He is the king who is, in this case, he, 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 he makes the law, he is the law, he is judge, jury, and executioner. He will see judgment done. Uh, look at um, this, this, from these verses here that we just read, uh, actually, let me go ahead and read the, these next few. You have rebuked, or five and six. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. The, the poetry works here not describing three different groups. Well, there's the enemy, and then there's the wicked, and then there's the nations. So this is three ways of describing the same opponents. And when it says that God blots out their name, roots out their cities, it's saying all their glory, their name, all their power, all, their, all that they have built, all that they, that, that, that they can glory and say, look, this is, who, this is our mighty power, our, our authority, our civilization. This is what we have made, our Tower of Babel. God says, we'll blot that. Well, you can't make a name for yourself by building up your tower. Name blotted out. Cities destroyed. It's all gone. And, and we look like, whoa, that's, if we really understand what it's saying, it sounds harsh, it sounds severe. Severe, yes. 
and perfectly just. Right, perfectly right. That's verses 7 and 8. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. So I wonder if you're tracking there what we have. We've got to move here from verses 5 and 6 to 7 and 8. The powerful may have big names. They may have all the influence, the reputation. God will blot out their name forever and ever. They may have their cities, their empires, their networks. God will root out their cities. But when the, when the news cycle moves on to, to someone else, and all, all they will be are the has-beens, footnote in history books, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. You see, the, it's the contrast there is the clincher in this opening section. It's the juxtaposition that should get our attention. How long is his reign? The Lord sits enthroned forever. How far does his jurisdiction reach? He judges the world with righteousness. And that means this psalm is not just about David's testimony. It's not just about David's time. The God who gave David justice is the same God who sits on the throne today because the Lord sits enthroned forever. It's the same God. And, and there is nowhere that you can be that is beyond his rule and reign, is beyond the reach of his justice. He cannot be voted out of office. He will not have to, you know, uh, leave because of some tawdry scandal. And, and because you know he is enthroned forever, you can have hope because he has established his throne for justice. Justice, we, we all know, is a controversial issue and a contested word in our day. You may not agree with how it is being defined in the culture, in the media. You may not, be, uh, not like how it's being used politically, um, often divisively, but I guarantee you everyone wants justice. Everybody wants it. You want it. You don't, want, you don't want your teacher, coach, boss to give preferential treatment for, to another person, no matter what it has to do with race, gender, or just because they like somebody else better than they like you. You don't want preferential treatment. You don't, you don't want your coworkers blaming you for their mistakes or tra- taking credit for your hard work. You don't want your rights trampled on by your neighbor or by the government. You want justice. And you might even be willing to fight for it. David was no, no wimp. He was a warrior. But sometimes, you see this in the Bible, sometimes he was on the run for his life. And he knew where to look for justice. Do you? David says this is the reason to rejoice. The God we serve will bring true justice. And that means something. It means something to you if you're the one who is the innocent and the powerless bumping up against the wicked and the powerful. That's when it really means something, that our forever king brings final justice. So, so think, who, who are you afraid of most? Biden? Trump? Antifa? Proud Boys? Russian hackers? Islamic extremists? Chinese scientists? Rest assured, if they are if, if they are against God and his people, they are going down. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. Give thanks. Be glad. Sing praise. The Lord sits enthroned forever. Now, we move, we're going to move to part two here. And so I want to read verses 9, and 12, 9 through 12 
once more. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord, who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So we're still looking to the Lord in praise. That's going to be all throughout the psalm. But this section adds, part part two, look to the Lord in faith. Forget God and you will be forgotten. Trust God and he will not forget you. Some of us hear the word, the oppressed, in verse 9, and immediately, again, we're, we're on guard against some political ideology, and, and, and here's the thing. Yeah, it has been used that way. Uh, it has been twisted or used as a cover for various things. It, it has been used to uh, promote some really bad stuff in the world. Well, the, we're the oppressed, or they're the oppressed, so therefore, this. But here's the thing. There are oppressed people in the world. We have to acknowledge that as well. Whether you want to Think about the, 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 I guess the group that, that's most uh, often in the news or on our minds today, the Uyghur Muslims in China, oppressed people. And if we're, we, we've been wrestling as a nation, uh, looking at, like, uh, looking at how, how much, what's appropriate, how do we continue to reckon with the treatment of African slaves in our own country? If we get to this point in the discussion we're, and we're arguing about American exceptionalism or, or whether white supremacy is widespread or if it's just fringe, well, then we're missing something uniquely powerful that we have to say as Christians, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. It doesn't get us off or anybody else off the hook. We don't get to perpetuate uh, injustices. We don't get to further injustices. But if we're willing to fight, and it's true, if we're willing to fight for our freedoms, we should be fighting and defending others too. But when you can't go to the powers that be, when the authorities of the world are the ones that are pushing you down, you go to the Lord. That's, that's where this, this psalm, this passage calls us to. So we see another element that keeps this psalm from being just a tool for, you know, class warfare or for revolution. Who does the Lord protect and preserve? It's those who put their trust in him, those who seek him, verse 10. Those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So think very carefully with me now. It doesn't mean his protective care is only for God's people who are under persecution for their faith. That's, David's not being persecuted for his faith here. It was political, economic, who knows what was going on. He, but he is among the oppressed and the afflicted, the poor and the needy, simply because there are wicked people in the world. And that, that evil, that wickedness, that injustice, that unrighteousness, that's, it's wrong. The Lord sees it all and he hates it. But if you want help, if you want justice to be done, you must put your trust in the Lord. You must seek the Lord. And you say, okay, but, well, if God hates injustice so much, why does he let so much of it happen? Why is our world in such a mess? Why are people killing each other and hating each other? If God protects those who trust in him, why are so many of his people suffering? Why am I 
suffering. Wow, you are getting, you've just landed on one of the hardest, most unanswerable questions ever, but it doesn't mean we don't have anything to say. We can't, can't button that up completely, but there, we do have something to say uh, from the larger sweep of Scripture and then from this passage. See, the, the, whole, the Bible as a whole, we see that God has given us human beings the ability to turn away from Him, go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and ever since that first human sin, our history is one long, bloody demonstration of the fact that when we ignore God, when we reject God, it ends in death. It ends in death. Not just death someday, death at the end of your life, but genocide and murder and abuse and oppression. It ends in death. And God has given this world a long leash. You can argue about whether it's too long or not long enough. He's given this world a long leash, and that's where we get all this wickedness and injustice. But it's not, but, and here's where we come back to this passage, but it's not the end of the story. And it will not go on forever. There is an end to that leash. There, is an, there will be an end to that injustice. So verse 12 again. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Let's jump down again to verses 17 and 18. The wicked shall return to Sheol, the grave, death, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Again, understanding the needy and the poor there, not just economically, but in terms of those who are looking to God and yet are struggling, are under oppression, politically, economically, and otherwise. Here's another sharp contrast. Here's another juxtaposition in this psalm that should get our attention. The nations that forget God will go down. For, that, that was, okay, that was verse 17. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. Verse 18, for. That means because. The nations that forget God will come to an end because the needy who trust the Lord in their need will not be forgotten. They will be saved. Now, you, you want to you wonder, okay, so is America one of the nations that have forgotten God? That's a question that we don't like to think about because we don't really want to answer it. And, and, and you know, we, we don't need to figure out, well, What's the percentage of Christians in, in our country or how many evangelicals are attending church on a given week or whatever? And, you know, we could, we could be praying, remembering the story of Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah. God, if there were just 10, if there were just 10 righteous, would you spare us? But it's, but it's not enough to avoid or delay God's judgment. The goal, the mission is to see all peoples put their trust in the Lord. I wonder, you can read this, verses 9 to 12, as a call for worship evangelism. L listen to these verses again. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. He, that, that's a general statement. He sees the sin and injustice, the evil of the world. 
And now narrowly, more specifically, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Tell a world of sin and suffering that there is a God who saves. For he who avenges, avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He sees the wickedness. One day he's going to deal with it. Today, today is a day to say, he's, uh, I'm trusting in the Lord. People, look to him. Seek him. Trust him. He can save you. He can be your stronghold. This is a call for sufferers to become seekers. Testimony to an inspire all peoples to trust in him. You can, you can talk to somebody, you can talk to somebody in, in your neighborhood, at your place of work, uh, who feels oppressed, afflicted, poor, and needy, maybe because their insurance company won't honor their claim. Maybe they, maybe they left their country uh, in a bad situation, hoping to find a better life in the United States, and they're caught in, a, in the red tape and the messiness of all of our immigration mess that we have. The message for you today, you today can be a message you share with others. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. Put your trust in Him. And those who forget God will be forgotten. God will bring them to an end and their memory will be blotted out forever. But those who trust in the Lord will not be forgotten. He will not forget you. And God will shelter you in his strength. This is a call to look to the Lord in faith. For you, yes. But you can turn that around and give that to other people. For the last part of the sermon, I want to read again uh, verses 13 to 20. And, and note the prayers on either end of this section. 13 and 14 are a prayer. 19 and 20 are a prayer. Be Gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughters of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. So, arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is part three. Look to the Lord in prayer. Call on him who sits enthroned to arise, appear, and bring final justice. Now, you, you are a careful Bible reader, I'm sure, and you're trying to follow this psalm, and you're, you're maybe a little turned around because it seems like David is not consistent in his, in, whether he's talking about the present or the past, things that has happened, things that he wants to happen in the future, and, and well, it's hard to sort out. Um, sometimes these afflictions, oppression seems all in the past, but then it seems like the judgment is in the past, and yet he's asking for judgment to come. Uh, back and forth. Which is it? Well, maybe you, maybe you know better what this psalm is about than you realize, because maybe your life is kind of like a, a, the whack-a-mole game at the county fair. You're, you're like, 
you know, if you, you're trying to live your life and there's, you know, there's home repairs and auto repairs and, and doctor bills and dentist bills and this ache and that pain and you're burying your wife in less than five years and burying your daughter. And you go from, it's like one thing after another, one thing where you feel like, okay, God supplied and God took care of me. And then there's, but there's another thing. There's one more. And sometimes they come faster than you can keep up with. You knock out one problem, another pops up. How will it ever end? There we go. How will it end? What we hear in this psalm is someone who's not just facing a lot of problems, but a relentless attack from wicked people. And yet, David knows how it will end. See, this is how he can sometimes talk like, I, God, come and bring judgment. And yet he's talking about it like it's already happened. He knows how it will end. The Lord will reveal himself. He will rescue his people once and for all. In the present, life is painful and God's people are prayerful. But where does the confidence come from? Rather than like just giving up. He says, one more thing, I'm done. How can we keep praying when evil keeps popping up? Our hope is in the ways God has been faithful in the past and believing in the promise of final justice in the future. Let's just, just walk through this, see how you can take up this prayer. David makes a turn. Remember we were talking about the, how the ways that, that in 11 and 12, it's uh, tell among the peoples his deeds. Sing praises, everybody. God has rescued me. But then he turns around and says, yes, everybody turn to the Lord. God, be gracious to me. Be gracious to me. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray today. Like, oh, I'm, I'm here at this church and Seems like all these people believe in God and they, they seem okay. But God, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm stuck. I'm hurting. I'm, I'm, just under, I'm just under this load. Be gracious to me. See my affliction from those who hate me. This is getting personal. Is it personal for you? You don't simply want God to bring justice to the world. No, what all I want is I just want world peace. No, I want peace for me. I want peace for my family. I want peace for my community. And it's not that we don't care about other people, but we but this is where we feel it, isn't it? Yet even in this very personal moment, he turns to again to God centered praise. Again, verse 14. Be gracious to me, so that, verse 14 so that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughters of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Two things here. Remember, if you notice how forgetting and remembering are, are this theme that he weaves throughout this whole psalm, this is another part of remembering, recounting all your praises. God does not forget the cry of the afflicted, and when he comes to rescue us, then we're going to in the gates of Zion, in the, for us, the new Jerusalem, we're just going to spend eternity recounting all his wonderful deeds, verse 1. 
we'll be recounting all of his praises. It's just, we will be looking back, and yes, we wonder, like, will we remember all the hard things? Will we remember the pain? Uh, only in a way that we will be able to turn around and say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Recounting all of his praise, recounting all of his wonderful deeds, he has not forgotten us, and we will remember forever all the good that he's done for us. Just as he will lift us up from the gates of death, lift us up from the gates of death so that we can be in the gates of the new Jerusalem, he will lift up us up from the gates of death, but the wicked are going down to shield. They are going down. Do you hear that? Verse 15 and, and through 17. Well, read um, 13 and 14, now 15. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. He lifted us up from the gates of death. They have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they, they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. This is not just they're just getting the natural result of their misdeeds. No, this is the judgment of God. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol. All the nations that forget God. They are going down. All the stories of judgment and destruction, Babylon in Daniel's day, earlier, Egypt in Moses' day, Sodom and Gomorrah in Abraham's day, their cities were rooted out, their names were blotted out, and it was the end for them, but then there just came another evil city. There came another Babylon. Babylon's done, there's another Babylon, there's Rome. One day, though, it won't be just the end of them and another one popping up. It will be the end of all evil. That's the hope in this psalm. If you ever wonder that whether the evils of our day, the evils that shake the foundations of our country, of our culture, the evils, the, the, the wickedness that we wonder, will, will it bring us to war? Will it leave us in ruins? Here, remember the past. Hope in the future. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. But the needy shall not always be forgotten. The hope of the poor shall not perish forever. No, there's hope. And so because of that, we pray, Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Not, those, not these movements, not their ideologies, not their agendas, not, the, not these parties, not these nations, not these armies. Let not man prevail feel the tension. We feel the tension between our patriotic instinct and our prophetic responsibility. We sing and we mean and we want God bless America. And we know judgment is coming for the world. Not, not, we're not picking on America. Judgment's coming for the world. And that prophetic responsibility doesn't mean we've given up hope. We believe in a Savior and we invite people to seek the Lord and put their trust in Him because those who know their name put their trust in Him and He is not forget those who seek Him. He is a stronghold for the oppressed. We invite people to seek the Lord and we pray to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sits enthroned forever. How about today? Rise up and come. Rise and appear and we will, when we look to the Lord then, when we look to the Lord then, our forever King who brings final justice in prayer, 
In faith, in praise, we will never look away again. We look forward to that day. Oh God, we, we look to you today, and I pray that this psalm, as difficult as it may be in some respects, would be an anchor for us in a, a world and in a country that is so often in upheaval. We remember just how solid and sure is your throne. How unshakable is your administration. And while I pray, Lord, as we have prayed for presidents in the past, we pray for our president today and our Congress, our Supreme Court, that they would seek you, that they would do what is right. And Lord, we're we fall short. We pray, have mercy. We're seeking our shelter, not under the stars and stripes or the Constitution. We seek shelter today in your word and your promise for us. We thank you for the blessings of our nation. We do, we do. We thank you for the blessings. We'd rather live here than anywhere else. I'm grateful, but God, I'm holding on to the only thing that is sure and lasting. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray in his name.